The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And, you know, I hope you guys have been enjoying our educational series, which we've been doing now for the last many episodes. And you've been hearing about all sorts of stuff around ethics. And of course, we have other topics. And uh, we're we're well, we're we're heading towards 300 episodes here at AI Today. Not quite there yet, but we're getting there like 270 something. I don't know what the exact episode count is, 280 maybe. Uh, But like, well, after it's in our fifth year here, heading, you know, into beyond, it's our fifth anniversary of the AI Today podcast. And, you know, we've really spent a lot of time listening to our our audience. You tell us you really like hearing, uh, you know, what AI is all about, the terminology, the education, how to do things right. But you also like hearing from others. Some of our most successful podcasts have been not only interviews with folks at notable organizations and companies who are doing stuff with AI, but your day-to-day practitioners, the people who are putting AI into practice on a day-to-day basis and hearing their their struggles. You know, you may not necessarily know them by name or their by title or even by company, (laughs) but you might know them and feel their uh, particular experience and and relate to that. So we're actually going to do some of that on today's podcast, and we'll have more of these sorts of interviews in the future as well. Exactly. So if this is your first time to AI Today, welcome and thanks for finding our podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to AI Today and rate us as well. We do always look at our reviews and we love to hear from our listeners. But on today's episode, we are going to have an interview and we're really excited. We always love to have interviews because we get to hear firsthand how people are actually implementing AI, big data projects, and especially folks who are CPMAI certified. So we're excited to have with us today, Andrew Stone, who's product owner data science at Maximus. Andrew is also CPMAI certified and Maximus is an official silver level CPMAI partner. So welcome, Andrew, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and to talk with you. Uh, I've never done a podcast before, so this is exciting and new for me. Yeah, well, welcome. You know, a lot of our guests, it's actually their first time being on a podcast, and it's wonderful that it's with us. So again, that's very exciting. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Maximus, and maybe briefly explain what Maximus is in case folks are not familiar with that organization. Of course. So my 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 classical training is in piano performance. So I didn't go to school for business or for computer science or for coding. I learned how to play the piano. And my mom always said that I should have gone into computer science. I guess I should have listened to her um, because that's where I ended up. I I found a way to technology industries and um, started out answering the phone. Hi, thanks for calling. How can I help you today? And quickly found that I like to solve problems. And I like to solve problems that nobody else could figure out how to solve. And so I found my way into um, the technology world. And I remember sitting at the computer being scared to write my first SQL statement. And to come from there to where I am today, being product owner for a data science group has been quite the journey. And if I go on an interview and I talk to people and they say, how did you get from playing the piano to doing this work? 
And it seems very natural to me because the way I think is very comprehensive and it's very global as well as being very detailed. And I think that fits very nicely into the world that I live in now. So today, I work with a really talented group of data scientists, um, men and women from various backgrounds and experiences who have formed this wonderful team of collaboration and innovation and exploration and research. And um, I'm very honored to work with them. So Maximus is a company that helps um, people gain government benefits like Medicare or Medicaid, or one of our projects is with the California Lifeline Project, where um, callers can um, gain uh, access to phones so that they can get jobs and to, you know, live their lives. So we very much are um, people-focused and society-focused and wanting to make sure that we build a better future together. So my connection to the people um, that we help is, is very strong. And that's very much forefront in my mind as, as, as we work through these issues. So I've been at Maximus about five years. I've been with the data science team for a few months now. They, they've been around longer with data science than I had. So um, we're relatively new in our journey for CPMII and um, very much looking forward to implement the uh, for implementing the practices and the framework as, as y'all have described and educated us for. Well, thank you very much. Great insights. You know, I was going to say, I make the connection between piano and computing because they both involve keyboards. So I figured, you know. <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not, but the, the myth I was always told is that the first programmers were musicians. Uh -huh. So um, that, makes much, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there's definitely an overlap. A large part of the IT community is very musically talented. You always yeah. go to these large companies, they always have their little side bands. But I think, you know, more to the point, you know, we talked about like the idea of, of, you know, really making data science work, really making AI, which is really trying to extract more value from data and apply some of these processes and machine learning that maybe traditionally we hadn't been able to do with computers, you know, things that have traditionally been areas of human activity. And now we have machines can do some of that, pro provide some of that cognitive load. We're, no, you know, nowhere near a, you know, Terminator level uh, intelligence right. here, but, you know, there's like these little things. And I, and I think, you know, part of that is, is really trying to get your arms around data and trying to, you know, apply these ideas. And we'll get into CPI, CPMAI in just a moment, but maybe you can share with our audience a little bit about like, you know, some of the, you're trying to bring these things and make them work. Some of the challenges of managing data and AI projects, and maybe even like quantities of data. People people think of big data. We think of big data as kind of a, a general term. There's like There's no like hard line that says below this is small data and over this is big data. Actually, nobody uses the term small data. But people think of the idea and the concepts of big data that are not necessarily specific to a particular site. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about those challenges and kind of what, what kinds of data we're dealing with at uh, Maximus. So I, I think the data challenges are known. They are um, observable. We, many of us have experienced the, the challenges of gathering data, collecting it, storing it, joining it together, finding other data sources. And I think that my group especially has, has done a really great job of solving for that. So the, the, the size of our data has not, it, it's not extraordinary, certainly. Uh, but especially recently, over the past year and a half or so, getting to the granularity of data has been especially important to us and been most useful 
in our work with the data science group. Um, and most of our stuff has been focused on speech analytics and call transcripts. So when some, someone needs an uh, answer to a question or needs an application uh, status or to simply talk to us to do the things that we do for them, they, they call us and they talk to an agent and we record those calls. The nifty thing that we've been able to do is to transcribe those calls make every single call available to our data science group so that we can evaluate them and understand what people are talking about, how people are feeling, what the agents are talking about, how they are doing. And so that that really broadens the, the data, even though it's not uh, millions and millions of calls a day, still getting to that level of granularity has been really interesting and important for our work. So I think that the data challenges are going to continue, but technology has advanced so much um, in our ability to, to consume and to work with all sorts of data. That, it's a challenge, it's a big part of AI, but I think it's, it's relatively straightforward. Once you, get, once you get your hands on the data and you get the people who know how to work with the data. Um, once you solve those two problems, you're pretty easy, easy going from there. Maybe all of the folks listening that are data people are, are saying, no, 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 it's really hard. <laughs> but I, I, maybe I just work with really talented folks in, in that area. Well, not maybe, I do. I work with extremely talented folks in that area. Yeah, that's important. You know, we always hear continually about data challenges, right? I think that that's just the nature of data. Not all data is created the same. There's data quality issues. There's data quantity issues. And so it's important to make sure that you do work with a good team that can wrap their head around that and also that you follow best practices methodologies yes. for how to run you know, AI projects and make sure that you're making sense of that data. So we're big advocates uh, for CPM AI, for you know, data-centric methodologies for how to do AI right. And for folks that aren't familiar with CPAI, it's the Cognitive Project Management for AI, CPM AI methodology. You can learn more by going to cognolytica.com slash CPM AI. And I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well, in case you're interested in learning more. Um, but we had mentioned that Maximus is uh, you know, a silver level CPM AI partner, which means that you have many folks from the organization CPM AI certified. And it helps because you can all, you know, understand the methodology, make sure you're following the same methodology. We've seen at a lot of organizations, folks are either making up their own methodology, doing things ad hoc, not following anything at all. That can be quite scary because it's not repeatable. So if you leave the team or if you're out on vacation or, you know, somebody else joins, you're kind of like, what do I do here? We're all over the board. So specifically, how has CPMAI methodology helped you manage and run data and AI projects and changed your mindset and maybe your teams as well for approaching these types of projects? So I'll, I will start with a, the kind of silver level and the Maximus approach to this certification and the framework. And I think what has helped most of all is to gather the group of people who do this work or are affected by this work and have the conversation in a stepwise manner, in a way that we're all familiar with, so that we've got a, a, a common path to follow, really. We, we have a common set of values to work from. 
we we know where we're starting. We, we know where we're going. We know the things along the way that we're going to consider. And so we've got a, a, a set of truths to start with, which a lot of times is one of the most difficult things, especially if you're working with people from privacy, from legal, from contracts, from bids, from operations, from telecom, from data. You've got all of these people who've got very different perspectives and agendas and focus, but you can all have the same kind of conversation around the approach that you're going to take. And I think that that's what's really brilliant about the framework that y'all have put in place. And what has been most valuable to me is that common language because it builds trust. It, it, it gives you a starting point from the beginning of trust. We all have the common language. We all have the common understanding. We all bring a, a different perspective to it, of course. But that allows the creativity and the innovation and to have a starting point. And I think that that's really most interesting. I, and I think I spoke before about the things that I find most important about it. And it really comes down for me to the ideas of transparency and explainability and trust. So, um, like I said, I don't think the data part is most difficult. I don't even think that the science part is most difficult. The most difficult part of it is the story, is the relationship, the use of the data, the interpretation of the data, the decisions that and the actions that you take as a result of the algorithm's output. That's what's really most difficult. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, I think, you know, we've heard from many people, and honestly, data by itself doesn't really have meaning. We have to ascribe meaning to the data, connecting different data points together to say, oh, this is a purchase transaction. When you look at it, each individual data point doesn't necessarily tell you the story, right? The story is crafted by connecting these data points together and providing additional meaning and context, maybe saying, you know, what has changed in the purchase history or what, you know, what, how does this purchase relate to other purchases? Now we're starting to answer different questions, right? Because, right. you know, order database doesn't really tell us anything. Same thing with the contact center, with call log, you know, what is the question you're trying to answer? What's the story we're trying to get to? You know, has the customer been satisfied? How are our call center reps performing? How is the system handling and load? What's the demand like? How are things changing over time? These are all very different questions that can be answered with same or similar kinds of data sets, but we require different things of our data. And actually, it's a really great insight because uh, I think when people look for trying to gain their arms around AI machine learning, they tend to look for the technical things, which is, how does machine learning work? Tell me about how do I use this tool or how do I do this algorithm? And that's important. But without, without understanding how to address the problem, it's almost kind of meaningless. So it's sort of like you can do anything you want with these tools. You can, you can build a website. Here's a tool for building a website. Now, what kind of website do you want to build? Well, that's a whole other story. Right, right. <laughs> Are you trying to enable someone to buy something? Are you just trying to tell a story? Are you, you know, are you trying to show images? You know, that's where you get into the challenges. And it's the very same thing with AI. And part of the, the reason why we really said, okay, it's not just about the individual tools and technology. It's how do you make AI do what you want it to for the particular problem you're solving? And it's curiously, it's still a missing gap. When we ask people, okay, well, what methods are you, forget about the technology, what approaches, what methods, what, when we say methodology, people get tripped up. I don't know why, but we, you know, when, what methods are you using to run your projects? A lot of people say, I don't know. <laughs> we're we're going to get it done. That's the method we're using. We're going to get it done. You know, we're going to, we're going to take the problem. We're going to check off the boxes. 
we're going to produce something that is at least somewhat useful. And, and that's the method. And, and it's a valuable method, surely. But I think that the beauty of this, this methodology is that it's based on CRISPM, that it's got roots in PMP methodology and Lean Six Sigma methodology, um, in just managing a good team methodology, where you start with understanding the problem fully, comprehensively, completely. You evaluate multiple potential solutions and you pick the one that is most appropriate, both in time and cost and, and applicability, but also considering things like, well, does the math and the science behind this solution make sense? Can I explain it? And all of those things together have to go in order. You can't, <laughs> right? well, you can, you can say, I've got this tool, where's the problem to apply it to? Absolutely a, a valid way of thinking and doing things. Most of my work has been centered around, I've got this problem to solve, and I don't know how to do that yet. Right. And so this methodology, this framework, gives me a way to step through that with the people that I'm working with. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, we're, we're still somewhat young in our, um, in our journey of data science and applicability to the larger organizations. Um, we work with state and federal clients who are notoriously somewhat slow to innovate and advance in technology. I, I think someone said that the laws are 10 years behind society, something like that. And, and, and we've seen that. But still, the, the things that we can do as an organization to better our processes and to become more effective and cost efficient for our state clients and our federal clients, those are things that we can do inside our organization. And I think that's the direction that we're going. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know uh, we have heard from many folks as we do. <clears throat> we actually have interviewed a lot of folks from both federal, state and local and international, by the way. And it's interesting because they see AI as some sometimes a way to leapfrog some of the traditional problems. Uh, we were hearing from someone who who does actually work with uh, employee benefits and and uh, I think was uh, for, for uh, unemployed. And uh, one of the things they told us was they're like, well, the interesting thing is the old, way, the traditional way with the websites and email required people to basically have a computer, like a physical mm -hmm. computer and have email. And actually they said, look, well, no, it's interesting. Now here we are in the year 2022, people still don't have email or use email, but ironically, they all have mobile phones. So it's like this weird disconnect. We're like, well, if you can kind of leapfrog all that and say kind of Put all that stuff behind. Now you can go to to uh, to using modern technology. So, I, I interestingly enough, you know, we have the ability with these more advanced forms of chatbots and conversational systems, and you know, image recognition and all that sort of stuff to kind of move past some of the traditional problems. So that's that's one of the interesting things. I think people should think about this opportunity right now to be able to to do that. I don't know if you're seeing some of the same with with that audience. I um. I, I, I'm not, um, and it's not because it's not there. It's because that I'm not in the room to see it, um, actually. But I, I think that you're, you're dead on in the concept of there are things that, you know, we're, we're going to take several leaps forward um, in, in the application of AI and machine learning. I, I think that we're close to that, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great. Um, 
you know, specifically too, I, I mean, we've talked a lot and I know that you've said that you work with a great team, which quite frankly is wonderful because not everybody does work with great teams. And I think that there are some, you know, internal challenges that, that people need to deal with that sometimes can help, uh, affect project outcomes as well. So it's nice to hear that it's, you know, you have, you work with a good team, you have this cohesive language now around CPMAI and that you can really power forward with projects in all going in the right, the right and same direction. So how do you see CPMAI certification helping gross key skills for both yourself and your colleagues? So I think that the framework itself is a long game. I think that um, my approach to implementing the ideas is very practical and pragmatic. And it's realized in how we talk about the work that we do. Um, From being able to document and explain what the model inputs and outputs are, what the math is doing, what the science is doing, what the approach we took is, um, for the explainability, the transparency part of it, to making sure that we appropriately handle PHI and PII, personal information, personal health information, because we are working primarily today with what callers are telling us on the phone. So they may give an address, they may give a reason for a medical appointment, they may give their name. And all of those things are, are very carefully tended to. And we spend a lot of time and energy making sure that's the case both in how we store the data, how we treat the data, how we analyze it or don't analyze it um, subsequently. So the, the full-blown methodology isn't needed yet because, because we're still young in our journey. But the very fundamental tenets, the approach that you take, understand the problem, understand and research possible solutions, apply the most, uh, most reasonable one, explain it, trust it, um, put it into operation. Um, make it be used and useful. Have everybody sit at the same side of the table and know what to use it for, what decisions to take or not to take based on the information the model gives you. Those are, those are fundamental best practices that we, we can start with without ever even really um, having a conversation about the framework. We can implement it and learn as we go and train our um, data scientists through the methodology as, as they advance through their career. I think that it's, a, it's, it's again, it comes back to trust and credibility for me. That, 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 that certification, the diligence and the discipline to go through the training, to think about these things, um, gives you a starting point to have a, a credible conversation with stakeholders, with other, other data scientists, with other um, folks who work in this world. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's so comprehensive. There's so much there that I, I don't think that we can, I don't think we can eat the elephant all at once. So we're, we're taking very practical stepwise measures in that are guided by the philosophy that, that will help us build that trust and that credibility. I absolutely think that everybody on the team should, should gain this, this certification. Um, but that's where we're going to go, absolutely. But my data science folks are doing their data science work. They, they are thinking about and researching solutions to the problem. What I get to do is help translate those solutions to the business problem and the business need. And that's where I sit in the organization. 
And I love this job. I think that it's one of the most interesting things that I've been been able to do in the 20 plus years I've been doing this kind of work. Because I get to hear the really interesting math and talk about the the residuals on the white noise and is it normal or is it not? And the 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 polychoric tests and and all of the really nerdy things that make me happy. But I also get to talk to folks who are trying to solve problems and have really practical things they need to get done. And those two together are the perfect place for me to be. That's great. Well, I think it's a, you know, that it's a great place to be. And actually the, the philosophy that you just talked about how best to eat an elephant one bite at a time, as they always say, is the CPMI philosophy. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> think Start big. small and think big. And exactly. that's what, and that's exactly what we're doing. And iterate often. Right. Yes. And, and then, you know, and I think that's perfectly fine. You know, whenever you're in any new environment of change, especially when everything else is changing around you, you know, macroeconomically too, you got pandemics, you have world issues, you oh, have yeah. supply chain problems, you got labor. It's very, very hard to sort of guess where the world will be in another year or two. I challenge anybody to do that for anything. So if you're building out projects, it's interesting because we did have a podcast interview not too long ago where someone was telling us on the podcast, or it might even be one of our uh, event series, AI and Government Enterprise Data and AI, where they said that it took them 18 months or 12 to 18 months to run an AI project. And we're like, that's actually kind of insane because uh, you can't, first of all, you can't plan that far out. And second of all, it's like, it says something, if there's some, something wrong with the pro you either try, you're biting off either too big of a problem, right? In which case your risk of failure is very high. That's one of the things we talk a lot about CPMAI. Mm -hmm. It's but the very first step is business understanding, know what problem you're solving. And actually the big challenge is, well, maybe you can break down that problem into smaller and smaller and smaller problems. And of course you want these problems to solve something real. We talk about that all the time. They shouldn't be a proof of concept. It shouldn't be something that's useless. It should truly be a, what we call a pilot, but it needs it can be a small pilot. It's not to prove the big thing, prove something small. And when you're doing that, you can work with your team and say, oh, get yourself the experience you need in running an AI project, figure out, oh, we don't, we didn't realize we needed to build these data engineering pipelines or deal with this data quality issue, or maybe we have some cultural issue and accessing data, which we never thought we would have, or maybe right. some legal issues. So these are things you just, you don't want to discover that with a $10 million project. You don't want to discover that with a $2 million project. You don't want to wait 12 months to discover it either. So this is this is why we're like you know the really what method all methodology is is just a recipe it's a formula and right. it's, it's, and it suggests like hey uh, you may want to uh, think about this in a in a way where you're optimizing for success you're not necessarily op you're right that road that path might be long will we ever get truly autonomous vehicles you know, don't listen to them. maybe maybe. Maybe. And That's when we get them, will we want them? I don't know if we'll want them when we get them, you know. <laughs> I, so I, maybe the goal itself is not not great. But I think that that idea of small iterations and and having a a boundary around the work, um, that's where the marriage between this methodology and Agile comes, right. where you've got a very clear definition of accepting the work to be done and a definition of when it is done gives um, the people doing the work really great comfort, I find. People settle into that idea, especially when you say, you can finish this far and it's good. We might need to change it later, but we'll just add a story. Mm -hmm. We'll just do that next. It's okay. It doesn't have to be 100% fully blown, realized to be useful. 
It just has to be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really great way to spark creativity and innovation. I've also seen it go the other way and be very rigid and confining, which is, is, is a danger to any methodology, right, in right. my opinion. Yeah. Um, all of these things are simply observations of best practices across large organizations and a, a large number of organizations, not necessarily only large organizations. But it, it really is a collection of best practices and ideas. And I think that they can be implemented um, very effectively in a small team, in a large team, with a big project, with a small project. But just that small idea of I've got a limited thing to do. And when I get that done, somebody is going to tell me, great job. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate your work. And if I need to change it later, great. It doesn't mean that the original work that I did is is good or bad. It's it's done. It simply means, oh, we've got more to do. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because I I think that whenever anybody's worked with a data project or an AI project, there's always lessons learned, insights. You can continue to learn. You're right. You don't want anything. You don't want a methodology to be too rigid. That's why CPMAI is so great, right? Because it's iterative. Mm-hmm. It's agile. You you know you can go back. You can uh, you know go back a phase or two depending on where you are or three in your project. And we always say, you're right. Think big, but start small and iterate often. So don't don't you know, take on way too large of a project so that you're having this kind of 18 month runway, because that really is insane. A lot changes over that time. I mean, even your data can change, you know, over that time uh, tremendously. So how are you supposed to plan for that? We always (laughs) say the agile approach, which is waterfall and agile kind of combined. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, don't take that approach. Uh, So make sure that you are doing this in small, you know, iterative steps that you really can get something out in a few weeks time. So specifically, what lessons and insights have you learned that you can share for organizations and, you know, individuals listening to this podcast when they're looking to run AI projects? Maybe, you know, insights and lessons that you've learned and how uh, CPMAI methodology and that mindset has helped. My best and first advice is talk to each other. Don't leave a developer or a data scientist sitting by themselves in a room by themselves with no context, with no understanding, with no support. The best work almost always is done together, in my opinion, which is really interesting because I'm a piano player. I'm a solo piano player. I I spent most of my life solving problems by myself, thinking I'm the best one to do the work. I'm going to do it. I get it done. I know what to do. But as I have grown and matured quite a bit, I guess, I have really found the the value in listening to other people's ideas and creativity. And I think that if you if you do that, if you have one data scientist working on one thing and you've got another working on another, if you get them together to collaborate, then your your end product is going to be much better. Once you are talking together as a team, it becomes very natural and easy to explain and talk to your stakeholders and to your other team members outside of data scientists about the work that you've done and the work that you're planning to do. And I think that it's that conversation and how you have that conversation that builds trust. And it it, it starts with the team themselves. They've got to know each other and work together. Um, They've got to understand the context and the larger picture of what they're doing both in terms of the problem 
And then the security of the data and then the, the regulations required, all of those things together are necessary. But it's also really important for them to talk about that with the people that they're, they're serving. And data science, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but data scientists teams tend to be pretty introverted. They mm-hmm. tend to be pretty quiet. Um, they're very much thoughtful thinkers and explorers and researchers, not so much talkers. Um, so if you can if you can cross that boundary with them, you open up this really rich world of insight and creativity. And I think that that's really great. Um, so that that's my first and best uh, advice to teams is talk to each other. Don't expect somebody to understand what you're thinking the first time you explain it. I don't necessarily understand what I'm talking about the first time I explain it every time. So to expect somebody else to 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 consume that and and you know, I, I thought folks who English might be their third or fourth fifth language, and so there there's always something in the way between what I'm thinking and what I say and what you hear and what you think that you iterate through again and you work together to make sure that you understand together and that you build alignment that way. That, that's the most important to me. The other thing that I, the, the second best advice, and, and I tell my daughter this all the time, you've got to sit at the same side of the table. And, and by that, I mean, the, the problem is the problem. It's the math problem. It's the, uh, it's not the, oh, this person is a problem to me. You know, they need to go away. It's, it's A plus B equals C. It's the problem. And we're all working together to solve it. We all bring different tools to the table to solve it with. We all have different perspectives and feelings about the problem itself and the solution that we come up with. But if we can all sit at the same side of the table, then, then everybody is, is going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And here we come back to this task the methodology, the framework that gives us that direction. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's good. Sitting at the same title, that's actually, that's a good way to sort of round out this podcast here because we're hopefully all, and all of our listeners on the AI Today podcast, we're all sitting around the same table here. We're all sort of dealing with some of these same challenges. You think of it that way. They can you know, make this a collaborative environment, you know, all of us. And, you know, of course, reach out to your teams internally, but reach out to others too. You know, learn from others, learn from other experiences, you know, hear from other people, maybe people who have, who have been saving the, solving the same kinds of problems you've been solving, maybe in the same industry, maybe not. You know, maybe you've heard one of our podcasts and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I heard from uh, the, the former CIO or city of Oslo. You know, she's talking about their mm-hmm. public transportation issues, you know, and how they're using AI to solve some of that. You might be thinking, oh, that was interesting and curious. And then you can say, wait a second. How much are those problems like my problems, even though mine may be in a completely different industry? You know, and as Kathleen and I mentioned, we also run these uh, event series, AI and government and enterprise data and I for, for many years, right? And in the past year, we've, we've had conversations with folks even at, in industries like Shell and, uh, you know, these large petroleum companies, but they, they have a lot of the very same problems, mm-hmm. right? Now, they have 7,000 people in their data science team. So that's that's, wow. a, that's a lot of people. But I heard that I'm like, that's larger than like most companies, you know, right? <laughs> to say you have a data science team that big. Okay. You guys have a lot of data. All right. So think of the challenges of having the conversation that I described in, in a group that large. I, I, my challenge is have the conversation. It doesn't matter how large your group is. It, it's still, we're one person talking to another person. We're, we're a group of people solving common problems. And the beauty of the data science 
world is that a solution to one problem is almost always applicable to another problem. It, it, and it, it's brilliant to think of it that way. There's, there's analysis of social data that helps us understand technical data. You put things together. I, I don't know. The, I don't know if it's true or not. I, 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 I hear things, I guess. Um, I guess I was doing my Six Sigma work and, and heard that the, the sale of lipstick is, is very closely correlated to the rise and fall of the S&P 500, something crazy like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's easy to take an idea and apply it in another world. And that's really where the science comes. That's really where the intellectual property comes. That's where the innovation and creativity comes, is applying some, somebody else's idea to a new and different circumstance and problem. Perfect. Well, um, I know we're always we're getting towards the end of the podcast here. I know we have one final question that we always ask. Kathleen usually asks that question here. And so I'll let her ask the question. But but real quick, for those of you who are listening, you've heard us mention CPMAI now a few times. And, and if you've been listening to our podcast, you know what that is. But and, and Kathleen did mention at the very beginning what it is in general. But we do have a free introduction to CPMAI course. Now, we've had some webinars before where people were able to interact with us live and ask us questions. What we found is that, first of all, a lot of people are listening on replay. So it didn't really matter being live was kind of not really that helpful. Anyways, you could still watch those uh, webinars that we did. If you want to see uh, how we interacted live with folks, you can go to our Cognolytical webinars and you can see that there. But if you go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI, which used to be the link to our next upcoming live webinar, we realized, you know what? We will just make a free online course. So if you go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI, you could sign up for it. It's not a long one. It's about an hour or two hours. And it's an overview of the methodology. It's not the, the in-depth methodology. It doesn't have training. There's certainly no certification that goes with it. But it'll give you in, a, in about an hour or so sort of what we have done in our webinars, which is explain it is at a high level, what it's used for, the sorts of traps it helps you avoid, uh, how do you how do we get past some of the failure modes, the typical failure modes with, uh, with AI, running into data quality and quantity issues and ROI and all that sorts of stuff. And you get to hear about that. And, and it, there's some exercise questions you can answer it. And then, it, then you might say, oh, yeah, this is really applicable to me, to my team, to my group. Um, this is something I will benefit from really going through and really understanding the methodology. And then you could sign up. There may be a little discount in it for you if you do that through the uh, through the intro course. But uh, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, and you'll hear us mention it on future podcasts as well. So again, aitoday.live slash cpmai and it'll take you to the free on online course, which is on the courses site, but that's a much longer URL. So we'll, we'll save you all that. So exactly. Yeah, and want- I'll link to it in the show notes as well. So in case you look at the show notes, you can just click on that and it'll take you right there as well. Uh, this has been such an incredible podcast. We always love these interviews, as we mentioned at the beginning. And of course, this one again did not disappoint. So <laughs> I'd like to thank you. And we thank always... You. We, we always end our podcast asking the same question. And no matter how many interviews we've had over all these number of years, uh, you know, we've been doing the podcast now for five years, we always get different answers. And that's why we like this question so much. So as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? So I think that our relationship to artificial intelligence and to technology more broadly is an actual relationship and can be described in that way. And I think that we are going to become more and more comfortable with 
AI and machine learning being more um, closely related to things that are, are close to us. So I think that it's pretty easy to say, oh, you know, this show streaming service is picking up movies. They never pick up movies that I want to watch. Why don't they know that I don't want to watch these movies? That's pretty easy. But when you when you're talking in your living room and then you go to the Facebook or the the, the other things and ads start popping up, that's a little uncomfortable. I don't think that we're really okay with that. I'm not sure that I want my information being shared with other things. And and there's this really um, kind of tortured relationship right now with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think that as we talk about these, um, these approaches um, and as that conversation, especially around the ethics and the transparency and the application of these models and the decisions that they make are more well-known and people adjust to that knowledge more and more that our ability to interact and our our, our acceptance of those things is going to grow. I think that it's, it's probably going to take a giant step forward and then some slow steps again. And then maybe another big giant leap forward and then some slow steps again. I think right now we're in some slow steps. I think we're still getting used to having the, the model sit on the couch with us and figure out what we want to eat tonight, which is, I think is the most difficult decision in the world. I think if somebody can create a model that will take into all of the, uh, the things that go into deciding what to eat for dinner tonight and do it right every time, I think that will solve the world right there. So when, maybe, that, maybe that will be the next leap. Um, anybody out there listening <laughs> can solve that for me, that would be fantastic. Um, so I, I think that the relationship right now, I think that we're kind of still dating, not sure if we're wanting to, you know, take it to the next level yet or not, or whether or not we want to date some other people, you know, we're, we're still in that kind of getting to know you phase with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I don't think that we as a society are quite comfortable with it yet. I, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, we, maybe we have autonomous cars driving themselves, but I don't think we want that. I like to drive. I like to be in charge of it. I like to hear the, the wind blowing, you know? So I think that we are going to continue to evolve that relationship with technology, with, with artificial intelligence um, as, as we move forward. You know, it's interesting because with the artificial intelligence, I think as we continue to create things and, you know, it's kind of categorized as, as AI, we say, oh, okay, well, that's not AI anymore. And now this is AI. And we keep pushing the, the boundary of what is AI, where we don't do that with other technologies. You know, we don't go, well, this is cloud. Well, not really. So let's move to right. the next thing, right? We don't do that. Or this is mobile. Well, not really. Uh, so it's interesting that we do that with artificial intelligence. And I think that we've done that now for many decades since the technology, you know, since the term was coined and we've continued to move forward with this. So it is really interesting. Um, and you're right, you know, it does come in waves as well. And I think that it, we move forward and we're continuing to move forward, but at different paces. So we've been we've been talking about artificial intelligence for hundreds of years. Think about Santa Claus. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're good or bad. He can find you to deliver the packages. Well, I've got a watch on who knows when I'm awake and when I'm sleeping. I don't know if it knows when I'm good or bad, but, you know, I can certainly go click, click, save and, and have something delivered to me. 
So we've, we've, we've told stories about artificial intelligence for as long as we've been telling stories. We have created artificial intelligence ideas all along to explain the way the world works and what we observe in the world. But now we are creating those. We are in charge of what the AI does or doesn't do and how it, how it acts or doesn't act. It's our job now to be the creator. And I think that's a little bit scary. I think it should be a little bit scary. Yeah, it is. Well, th- well that's a good good way to, to wrap up here. And I think, you know, for those of you that are thinking about some of those things, that's why we have our whole ethical AI series that goes with all this. There's the, when we say doing AI right, we don't, we really mean two sides of the same coin. Of course, doing it the right way and doing the right things with AI and doing mm-hmm. it right. And, you know, it's very difficult. I think we when we do our ethical AI education series, we always bring out the examples of when things go bad. And it's a lot of times the bigger companies making some of the bigger mistakes. And uh, I don't know, does that, should that make us feel better or not? I don't know. But uh, at least we can sort of learn from the mistakes of others and not repeat them. So again, Andrew, you've been fantastic. You've been a fantastic guest. I just want to thank you so much for sharing your insights with our AI Today community. Very, very much appreciate the conversation. I, uh, I, I tend to have a different ideas about things. And I think that that's good. I think that different ideas are good. So yeah. I, I, I love talking to both of you. I, and I will plug this certification because it's detailed. It's thorough. It's thoughtful. It's methodical. And it's useful. So go sign up. Do the diligence and, and get your certification done. All right. Well, thank you so much for that plug. And thank you for being a wonderful guest today. So if you are interested in uh, signing up for CPMAI, as Ron mentioned, we do have our free intro course at aitoday.live slash CPMAI. And you can also go to cognolitica.com slash CPMAI to learn more about the methodology and sign up to become certified as well. I'll link to both of them in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast today, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We really do enjoy reading comments from our listeners. You can also reach out to us as well, info at cognolitica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com in case you'd like to connect with us. Uh, But we really have enjoyed this podcast. We hope that you have as well. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.